Vintage Sand. Hello, 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 Vintage Sand fans! Welcome back. We're happy to be back. We return triumphant, bloodied, and unbowed with another completely original episode, episode 47, for those of you playing along at home. Uh, that was not written. We want to assert this now at the very beginning. None of this was written by ChatGPT or HAL 9000 or uh, Skynet or any kind of artificial intelligence whatsoever. It was written by our own limited real intelligence. So there you go. Episode 47, which is going to be essentially, uh, because we haven't uh, convened in such a while, two months plus, um, we've lost a lot of people in that time, and so... 30! None, and, but no, not that anyone's counting. And uh, Michael is going to sort of take the lead here, and we are going to say a deserved farewell and respectful farewell to uh, a lot of people in different aspects of filmmaking that we have lost over the uh, over the last couple of months. So, let's talk summer movies. What'd you see? What'd you like? What'd you hate? Oppenheimer I liked a lot, but I thought I agreed with you about the music. Yeah, it's too, too, much too much of the music. Well, too much of it. There were a few moments where it would have played better if there were no music. And uh, the scene with Truman, even though I know it's true, he, he compressed something there when he says... Later, Truman says, uh, I don't ever want to see that crybaby. He didn't actually say it within earshot of Oppenheimer's. But, but it was just the way the scene was done. It, yeah, it just wasn't it was done well. Also, so you so you don't you don't agree with my objection that the first two thirds ends with the the, the 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 Trinity test, and then the last third ends with someone not becoming Secretary of Commerce. Well, it also has to do with Oppenheimer's downfall. No, you I understand. And that I character was responsible. And no. Downey was amazing. He was superb. I, I, I was, I, everybody was good. Everybody. There wasn't a bad Big performance cast. in the film. Um, and you got some uh, fairly graphic shots of a certain actress that I am known to okay, be rather I, a big I, fan I'm of. I'm the only one that, Flor that thought Florence Pugh looked like she had a bad sunburn throughout the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was okay with it. But I was like, What's going on there? He but I have to say, I knew I didn't recognize her at first. I don't I mean, either. She looks different in every film. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I one of the I didn't recognize I Downey in, in the first few minutes. Right, he. Uh, I mean, well, I didn't recognize Gary Oldman played Truman. Oh. I mean, who? Yeah. Who yeah. knew? But yeah, the cast was good, and the whole. What I found really interesting, I thought it was going to be like it looked to me like an Aronofsky movie where you had those shots of how he was seeing the world, sort of at the quantum level, the microscopic, like yeah. all those special effects from the fountain shots mm -hmm. and then those sort of go away and I miss them but some critic pointed out that what he sees in the next part of the movie is all fire and destruction yeah. and it traces sort of the movement of his mind from seeing worlds that no one else can see the quantum world right. to the destruction he knows that this can yeah. create and how about Tom Conti as Einstein Oh, yeah, I wanted to see more of him yeah oh, when I saw him in the trailer I thought oh yeah Tom Conti and, and then I noticed none of the reviews mention him. And then I realized it wasn't that big a part. So. Yeah, I, no. I, I would have I loved to have seen more of him. Yeah. Uh, for two reasons. He was, it was just such a, a warm, likable mm -hmm. character the way he did it. And Einstein is endlessly interesting right. to begin with. And there are no good Einstein. IQ is the only good Einstein. That's the only one I can think of. Yeah, which I enjoy. I like that. Yeah, I mean, that's a closet favorite of mine too. Yeah. Though. I like that one I think too. It was well reviewed when it came out. Did you guys out. see uh, Indy Five? Did you see no. uh, Dial of Destiny? 
I saw it in. No, I haven't seen I saw that it. Yet, in but a, I, I in want the, to though. I saw it at the drive-in, so oh, it was okay. totally fun. Was it? And Phoebe Waller-Bridge is can do I no do wrong like her, in my in which my is the only so. reason I really wanted to see it because I just didn't want to see Harrison Ford at eighty no, doing the, that role. The aging was slightly the de-aging yeah. was slightly less appalling than it was in The Irishman, mm. for example. But yeah, it, it better than the fourth one, better than Kingdom which of I Crystal didn't Skull. see. It was that was horrifying because I heard when you said it was horrifying, I thought I'm it not was gonna go. so bad. And we did get to see a little bit of Karen Allen. At the end, so that was. I was wondering alert. about that. If so she was going to appear. Marion comes back. Yes, she does. Um, I thought. I think the best movie I've seen this year by far was the Barbie movie. Oh, I loved Barbie. Amazing. I thought. John, it, have you seen it? I, yet? I haven't seen it. I want to. Must. must I just. Must, I just must, hear must. it's so much fun. It's and it's weird. It's weird. It's offbeat. First of all, I love the fact I'm a huge Indigo Girls fan from way back from the oh, 80s when yes, they came. The Indigo Girls. And so when Barbie turns on the radio as she's heading to the real world, the song that's playing is Closer to Find by the Indigo Girls. First of all, they had me at 2001 at the opening. Right. Which was just <laughs> glorious. I mean, just like she didn't. Greta Gerwig's a freaking genius, man. She really she is. She really is. She really is. And a good how director. good was Ryan Gosling? He was excellent. I, mean, I, I generally I, like him. Ever I, since Half Nelson, yeah, I, 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 I he can think do he's anything. a good actor, and everybody in it was good. I even liked Will Ferrell, and I usually do not like your Will. Yep, Ferrell. I like Michael Sarah in that yeah. part, and you know, you could know everything about every Barbie like like my wife does, or you could not know anything about Barbie at all, like and still enjoy the film. Piece of trivia, you know the old woman who has that one line on the bench. Yes, that is Anne Roth, the costume designer. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, and I love and I love the fact that Helen Mirren, who does the narration, yes. pops in at one point and says, "If you don't Barbie want Barbie to be an unapproachable role model of beauty, how about not casting Margot Robbie in the part?" <laughs> <laughs> Which was just genius. I mean, she, I, that was just an. I, mean, I think the only thing that may come close to it this year is uh, is. Totally different film, of course, is Killers of the Flower Moon, which you know, which I can't wait to see. Which yeah, I was when we went to go see Oppenheimer. What were there? Fifteen uh-huh. trailers. It went on forever. Usually, and out of all AMC. of them, yeah. that was the only one. I Did had they any pu- interest in? Have seeing. they pushed it back? I know they've pushed back some releases it's because October. it's sad. It's, it's I think October. it's they, they've October. kept it. Yeah, because it's not going to have that big long of a theatrical right. run. It's, it was originally supposed to be released last March. Yeah, I know. But listen, it's that that book. I'm seeing it because of Scorsese, of course. Yeah. Uh, and the 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 De Niro world and the DiCaprio world coming together yeah, yeah, yeah. finally. Yeah. But um, but that book right, is one yeah. of the great nonfiction well, books in a of the last, movie. last ten years. In a yeah, I'm thinking. You know, no, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking. You're right. Um, and because they have been in a movie together before. And yeah, I, I know that. Did yeah. I mention I liked Florence Pugh and Oppenheimer? Have I <laughs> just wanted to make sure I got that in the there. Thing, the thing that I, <laughs> really made me think, though, about Oppenheimer is someone tells you, well, what is it about? Because people said there's nothing really that much about Hiroshima or they don't show this. But like, that's not the topic. Like, well, exactly. To me, the movie was about this constant conflict within Oppenheimer between his ambition and his desire to be a moral person. Right. No, and, and, and there was a very deliberate, and I thought, a great choice on Nolan's part not to show, but rather to show him watching the footage of the destruction in Hiroshima and Nagasaki yeah. and his response to it, because that was much more in keeping with what you're saying, John. Yeah, I, I, in fact, there was that moment in the movie when the way Trinity was done, you know, with the, with the music, and then when the explosion, and then there was silence. Yeah. And then you had the 
the explosion and One all of the those. few moments of silence it's, it's, but in the movie. I found that part to be overwhelming. Yeah. I, I found it very and, and very moving. Yes. But, but in a not in a like, oh, how wonderful, but like, oh my God, how horrible. No, and that was, he, he underestimated us a couple of times. Like, for example, when he and Florence Pugh were having sex at the beginning and she pulls the Sanskrit book off the, the shelf and she's like, read this to me. Yeah. And it says, I am become death destroyer of worlds. And that's, yeah. of course, the line he says after the yeah. explosion. So, yeah. like, and we didn't need that set up. That was a little... It was a little hokey. It was a little hokey. So I saw Elemental. Which I think was. Um, I've heard it's not so good. I liked. I li- it. What it was trying to sort of be personification in the way that Inside Out was. It didn't succeed in that, but it was. It was a really interesting story about you know it's 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 uh, a fi- it's fire and water romance. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but it's also you know been seeing, there done that. Been there done that. <laughs> but but seeing it was because they live in a world. It, the fire people are the immigrants, and 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 you know, so they, uh, she hmm. falls in love with a guy who's a water person, and but so much of the film, it was interesting to see it with someone who with a disability, ah. um, because a lot of it is about how the world of the the city of water is so not designed for the fire people, and what is it like to live in a place that is very deliberately not designed for you. So that was, it was very smart. It wasn't as good as Inside Out, but a similar kind of kind of effect. I like that. And I saw, and you guys liked Asteroid City better than I did, I'm gathering. I, I did like it. You you liked it a lot. I liked I, it a lot. I, I thought it was I, very I liked, I liked it. My, my only problem was that by the end of the movie, I sort of felt like you needed more. This should have been a miniseries. Well, yeah. I felt like he yeah. set up a number of situations, and by the end, it was like, I want, I want more. I want to know more. I just thought, and I thought it was a perfect situ, uh, situation where he could have done a miniseries, maybe five, six episodes of all these different people. I wanted to know everything more and everything because they were such interesting characters. Yes, yeah. well, always, and yeah. you know, yeah. yeah top drawer actors very, and, very. and the look you know Wes is one of those directors yeah. you know you can look at two frames of a film and say oh that's Wes you can yeah. just tell by the framing yeah. So, but I also love his the way he just gets sort of wacky and weird out of nowhere sometimes but I have said before in these pages that I like you know unlike Tarantino who I think whose career turned disastrous when he started to go back into history with um, with Bastards and everything else um, Wes back in time can be beautiful. I mean, one of the reasons that Budapest is so great and one of my favorite films of the last decade is because he captures with his wistfulness, you know, that world that's about to die. Yeah. And you have that a little bit in French Dispatch because, you know, the the, the, yeah. the magazine is yeah, kind of the, floating. Yeah, the, death, yeah, right? and the, the death of that of us reading print. Right, and also of that revolutionary spirit of 68. Yeah. You didn't have that with... You, you, I, I didn't get that feeling of that a, a sad, wistful loss is about to come in Asteroid City. Um, well, there was definitely... He, he does like broken people. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's his, he's very attracted to that. And, usually, and there were broken people. Yeah. Yeah. Usually yeah. young, usually super achieving geniuses. I mean, that's yeah. that's a lot of early. That's Rushmore. That's Tenenbaums. That's a lot of Wes's yeah. uh, characters. But yeah, no, it was just so beautiful to look at and so sweet. Yeah. And you know, I, I really, yep. yeah, I meant to see it again, but I didn't. I'm only I'm only just comparing it to other Wes Anderson oh, films. Well, okay. I mean, so that's recent ones. See, I actually liked it better than Grand Budapest Hotel. Right, I, mean, I was the one who was. Not as happy with it as you guys, so. 
I well, I thought, and by the way, Zero appears as the general's assistant in. Yes, uh, yes. I, I was like, yes. Yeah. What's his name? Tony. Um, oh, I love him. Um, I also the only other thing I saw I saw the Sinead O'Connor documentary. Uh, nothing compares. Oh, how, how was that? Amazing. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, I was I was your roommate back yes. when she when she hit big, and yeah. I saw oh, her. I, that that album she hit big with was uh, was great. Lion and the Cobra is amazing, and you know the fact that they you know wrapped it a few weeks before she died is uh, just that was so just sad. such a, yeah so young such a terrible. Ter- I mean, and she's so brave and so yeah you know, and now everyone's like, oh crap. Thirty years ago, Sinead was right about the the, pulp. the church uh, yeah. covering up. Uh, yeah. Oh, and she was right. Oh, sorry, Sinead, for destroying your life and your career. Although yeah. I have to be blunt, when I saw that on Saturday Night Live, that's when I realized I needed glasses, because when she tore up that picture, I thought she was tearing up a picture of Koch. <laughs> How am I doing? <laughs> hey, you're not doing so good. <laughs> and I really, I went to bed, and then I heard all the hoopla the next day, and I said, well. Why, why did she? People always get caught in the of the, of the, of the X Men. He was already out by then. You know? Although, how, how am I doing? Sounds a lot better in Latin. So yeah, it sounds a lot more well, impressive. Everything sounds better in Latin. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But my favorite uh, thing to, that I saw this summer was the, the the theater up where we go, which is an old Art Deco theater, um, not very fancy but nice from the 30s. They always once a summer bring in a uh, silent film. Uh, and a live piano player, and oh. they did it for the hundredth anniversary of Safety Last, oh. which I've never seen on a big screen. And I it's, never have. Either. It's even more impressive on a big screen. Oh, yeah. I love. I mean, Lloyd is not Keaton and Chaplin, but boy, every time I see a good Lloyd film like that or Speedy, he keeps inching up a little bit towards the other two. So Sp- there he- is. Speedy the one where he's at the college. No, that's a freshman. The freshman. We're yeah, doing a little like, dance in the like football game at I the like end. That yeah. one. I love the part when he walks down the sidewalk and, and suddenly there's this parade of people behind him. He's not aware of it at all. Uh, and when he goes to the dance and his suit is unraveling, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, oh, thread by part. thread. Yeah, I mean, it's and the football game, the Marx Brothers basically, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. stole it shot for shot yeah, for horse yeah. feathers. But yeah. um, I, I'm I'm a Lloyd fan. So and I missed the Billy Wilder thing here at yeah, Film I saw. Did you see? Uh, they were re- really, really did well. The I wanted to see Private Life of Sherlock Holmes on a big screen, I never Oh, I did. I, that's I the only place have. I've seen it in. I saw it at BAM some years ago, which I liked a lot. Love that. And movie. you went to go see Some Like It Hot. I saw right? Some Like It Hot. So how did the audience react for Some Like It Hot? Incredible. They yeah. just, in fact, they laughed so hard that they missed one of the lines. The, uh, no, well, that always happens. Yeah, the I am after, uh, who's the lucky girl I am. Was totally oh, and the reason and the reason he does the maracas is so that people didn't yeah, miss the lines. People, the people were laughing too hard. Da, 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 da. Yeah, because it was it was sold out. And the only other one, and the only other one that I that particular evening they also had sold out um, the one I don't like, um, Seven Year Itch. That one oh, sold awful. out. Awful, awful. And they also sold out uh, the following night at the uh, the apartment. Yeah, not surprising. I went to also went to see just for the hell of it, uh, one, two, three, which is my closet. It's not something like which, it, but is one of my closet. But they were showing it films. not in the evening. They only were showing it at the daytime, and I saw it at uh, twelve noon on Sunday. It was almost sold out, and yes. that was that was fun seeing a bunch How of could people. something that topical, that is film, is pure nineteen sixty one? And if you aren't around, there's no way you get half. And it's still funny. Yes, I wasn't around in nineteen sixty one, and, and I, people were laughing, and it was a young audience. That's 
Yeah. And it was a very young audience for Some Like It Hot, too. <laughs> the joke's a lady. It's the three comrades, Hart Schaffner and Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> Even Horace Buckles is good in that movie. Yeah, Even I like him in Pamela that. Tiffin is good in and that Arlene movie. And Francis. Oh, my God. We love she calls him Mein Fuhrer whenever. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mein Fuhrer. Unfortunately. <laughs> no, stop standing. <laughs> unfortunately, unlike Some Like It Hot. Sits and <laughs> Unlike Some Like It Hot, which had a pristine print, uh, the print for one, oh, two, three is not I, I love I, I've said it before. I've said it again. I've seen... Some like it hot at least 50 plus times. No matter how many times I see it, I mean, I can say the lines before they say them, I still laugh. Still laugh. Some say John's gotten a little too big for his specs. (laughs) I say you can't keep a good man down. (laughs) Classic, classic, classic. What else did you guys see? Okay, uh, I saw a few films uh, that were. As you are wont to do. Uh, I saw Past Lives. Yeah, I want to see that. Uh, it's by Celine Song. It's Korean. Mm. Uh, it's about two <clears throat> kids who meet, you know, when they're like eight or nine, ten, and they kind of have a relationship, friendly, but then the, the young lady moves to America, oh. and he doesn't see her for like thirty years, and then he oh, goes. Oh yeah, I saw the preview for this. Yeah, yeah. it's it's quite lovely. It's quite lovely. Did we lose anything on a small screen? Nah. Okay. No. No. Another movie that nobody saw or even heard of but me was The Lesson, which was directed by Alice Trotman. And I've it heard starred. Of it. Well, it, it, I didn't it, see it, though. It, it really came in. <laughs> yeah, I know. It did. Really fast, and it got good reviews. Well, you're going to need one, a lesson, John, and you're going to get more than one lesson. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this was uh, starred Richard E. Grant as, a, as a, the novelist from Hell. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, I heard about his yeah, performance. And he was brilliant. Brilliant. And, and Julie really knows if no one loves her <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got to do at least one Citizen Kane joke every uh, every episode. And I'll also start Julie Deppy and uh, oh, hello. and Daryl McCormick. I don't know if you know him from the um, uh, Emma Thompson movie, uh, The Two-Hander. That was last year. No. Um, oh, yeah. The Sex I, Worker. Yes. Yeah. yeah yes. I can't think of the name. I know what you're talking yeah. about, but I can't think of the name. And he's writer. very, very good. And it was basically about a writer and who had lost his son, and he has another son who needs a tutor, and so the tutor comes in and he sort of helps the writer. And then it, it could have been a Losey, Joseph Losey movie. Okay. It was if it when it comes streaming. Free sneak preview of our October episode number forty nine. And then another, a German movie that's still in the theaters called A Fire hmm. by uh, Christian Batorl. And that had to do with another writer. A writer and his friend coming to a, a house uh, near a lake where there's a fire in the background and a relationship between them, a lifeguard, and a woman who's staying there. Interesting. And it was... Really, really interesting. Film. Okay. So there, there have been some. Uh, John L. Anything? Good summer all? films. I have nothing else to add. Nothing else to add. To that. But there are silver movies I still want to go see, especially Barbie and Past Lives. Yeah, yes. Past Lives. I recommend anybody. Well, I'd have, I'm getting my tickets in a couple of days for the reissue of Stop Making Sense. Which yeah, that was just announced. With all the added footage, and it's going to be... It, it, it is... Sorry, folks, I will brook no argument on this. It is the greatest concert film ever made. You're not alone. And, You're not uh, alone in thinking that. And 
the it's the first time the four that they're they're doing press for it up in Toronto at the film festival in September. It's the first time the four of them have been in the same room since they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in oh, 02. Wow. And David Byrne is finally admitting that he just without, doesn't know how to deal with people. Yeah, so without um, throwing things at each other. <laughs> no, it's all Byrne. I mean, you know, Tina Weymouth has said, "I'll work with him again if he learns how to deal with human beings." Yeah. Um so and did you guys see American Utopia? The, uh, yes. the show that Byrne yeah. did on, yeah. Uh, on yes. Broadway? Yeah. And so he says that. He kind of says. he's yeah. At least he's self-aware. That was, that was like, good. It was wonderful. So I don't know how to deal with people. All right. So as I mentioned at the beginning, it'll stop making sense coming soon. And Killers of the Flower Moon, but that's a whole other story. Um, as has happened a couple of times in the past, we have been away so long that we have lost a lot of people um, of major and less major, but still important, influence in the film industry. So essentially the rest of the episode, which I'd love to call Dead Reckoning after the semi-decent uh, Bogart movie. Dead Reckoning? That's a bad pun, but it's all right. All right, Michael says no. No, right? I it could work. Not a great Bogart film, but we're going to no, do it. basically an extended necrology of those we have lost. The great and the near great, as Mel Brooks used to say. So, Michael, kick us up. Okay, and I believe this is in order of their passing dates. I might be one or two off, but if so, I apologize. Oh, uh, who cares? Jim Brown. 87. Fullback for the Cleveland Browns, he left football at the age of 30 to pursue an acting career. He had already acted in Rio Conchos when he was filming his second film, The Dirty, Dirty Dozen. Dozen. sure. He had planned to report to training camp, right. but when bad weather postponed shooting, he was told by the Browns coach that he would be fi- fined for every day he missed. Insulted, he then just quit football he away. and became a full-time actor and a political activist for racial equality. Other notable films were Ice Station Zebra, The Split, 100 Rifles. 100 Rifles is good. The Running Man, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. Slaughter. Do you have Slaughter on I there? I don't have Slaughter. Slaughter is his entry in the exploitation. Oh, okay, I don't Slaughter's, have that. I never heard of it. Slaughter's okay, the sequel though, I forget what it's called. James Brown did the soundtrack for it. Oh. It's freaking amazing. It's really wow. good, so gotta check that okay. out. Okay. Uh, in 1999, he was voted football's greatest player in the 20th century by a six-member <coughs> panel of experts assembled by the AP. He had a troubled personal life and was arrested numerous times for physically assaulting women. Yeah. Now, you guys could talk no, but more about the football. Still, he's still my pick for the greatest football player ever. I never saw him play live, but uh, just, you know, in the footage. And <coughs> considering that in those days, every it was a running game in those days, and every defense was keyed to running, and every defense was keyed to stopping him, yeah. and no one could. And no one could, exactly. So Now, when you look at the footage of him when he was in his prime, I mean, actually, what's really amazing about his football career he never missed a game yeah. in nine seasons. For a running back, which is, like, impossible. Yeah. Wow. Never missed a game. And he probably could have played at the same level for another five years, but he just he walked away. Yep, hold, held, walked away with a lifetime rushing record, the yeah. season rushing record, which yeah. has, have been broken since. He still since, has but the record for most, uh, for highest uh, carry, uh, carry per hour, uh, average per carry. Yeah, I mean, Which I was... Which is amazing. I would say among the top <laughs> athletes turned actors that we've had from any sport, I would argue. I mean, you know, he was never a strong leading man, but good, you know, a, always a solid character actor, like in Dirty Dozen. My memory of him was on the Dick Cavett show, and you might have seen this, because it was an infamous Dick Cavett show. Cavett 
Jim Brown, Truman Capote, and Lester Maddox. Oh my wow. God. Okay. That's, and that's this is the one where Lester Maddox walks off because, you know, they were talking about racism and mm-hmm. Lester Maddox yeah. didn't believe that racism ever existed. And uh, it, it, if you could ever find it, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Well, Jim Brown was one of the one of the athletes that was very politically active, Activist, along with yep. Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali, yep, and and some others. Yep. Was Jim Brown one of the characters in One Night in Miami? Yes, he was. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. right. Regina King's film, which was really good. Oh, I liked that. Yeah, film. yeah it was good. Wow. Yeah. Okay, Bill Lee, ninety-four, jazz bassist and composer. And the father of Spike Lee. And composer of some of his son's soundtracks. He composed the music for the first four of Spike Lee's films. Yep. She's Gotta Have It, School Days, Do the Right Thing, and Mo Better Blues. He also appeared in small roles in all of those films, except Do the Right Thing. But their collaboration ended over money and family issues. Hmm. And I tried to look look into that. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Delroy Lindo plays an interesting version of him in Crooklyn, you know, mm-hmm. which is is that if he was really like that, I could see why there was some interest, some family issues. He was a sideman for singers such as Bob Dylan yeah, and Aretha Franklin, among others. Spike Lee said about his father, "Everything I know about jazz, I know from my father. I saw his integrity, how he was not going to play any kind of music, no matter how much money he could make." Yeah. Okay, Martin Amis. Amis? Amis? Amis. Amis. 73, novelist and screenwriter. Wrote an original screenplay in 1980 for Stanley Donnan's Saturn Three. I know. I, I wouldn't know. go bragging about that. Yeah, well. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, one of the two or three most important British novelists of the end of the 20th yeah. century, but yeah. I don't think of him in terms of film. Generally. He also adapted his own novel, London Fields, in 2018. Which is a great book. I... His latest book to be adapted for the screen, The Zone of Interest, won the Grand Prix at this year's Cannes Film Festival. Okay. Helmut Berger, 78. Actor, he made his film debut in The Damned, 1969, directed by Luciano Visconti, Mm. who was his companion until Visconti's death in 1976. He was in Death in Venice, too, right? No. No, he wasn't. He was not in Death in Venice, no, no. In The Damned, he played the grandson of a German munitions family based on the Krupp family and was described by one critic as one who personified the outright perversion of Nazism. Hmm. He made two other films for Visconti, Ludwig, The Mad King of Bavaria, and Conversation Piece, which co-starred Burt Lancaster. I remember my grandmother, who lived in Bavaria almost about the time um, of... um, Ludwig, almost. He died a few years before she was born, but she did live there as oh. a child and teenager. Uh, so that that I took her like right before she died, <laughs> so that it really captured the whole, you know, kind of seeding this atmosphere. atmosphere and, Interesting. Yeah. Other films included Victoria De Sica's uh, *The Garden of the Fisi Contini's*, terrific. Joseph Losey's *The Romantic English Woman*. And later on in Godfather Three, as the Vatican's chief accountant, who tries to swindle Michael Corleone. Bad idea. <laughs> yes. Got to deal with Joey Zaza if you do that. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his last name right. Kenneth Anger. Anger. Okay, ninety-six. 
experimental filmmaker, started out as a child actor in Hollywood, but in his uh, teens began to shoot short films. His most famous film is Scorpio, Scorpio Rising. Rising, which I always showed when I taught avant-garde film oh, yeah? in my film class. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, it's a I have groundbreaking, it. amazing film. It's weird, but I do like it. A film that proved that sound and image could be combined to create something powerful, influencing the rise of music video. Yep. It's a look at a Brooklyn Bikers gang with wall-to-wall soundtrack, which includes music from Elvis Presley, Ray Charles, Ricky Nelson, and Bobby Vinton singing Blue Velvet, which was used, of course, in the David Lynch 1986 film. He later authored the book Hollywood Babylon, which was a scandal-laced memoir that he used to help finance his films. Hmm. Yes, if he had only done Scorpio Rising, he would be one of the most important avant-garde. And that was a great, I mean, Shirley Clark was working, all those great avant-garde directors working out of the, um, Jack Smith and Flaming Creatures. And that must have been a hell of a time to be hanging out, like, you know, at Anthology Film Archives or whatever. Or our neighborhood. Yeah. Yep. Tina Turner. 83, singer and occasional actress. Her movies include Tommy as the Acid Queen. She was the Acid Queen. Mad Max Thunderdome, Last Action Hero, and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. No. <laughs> I don't remember her in that, but no. I don't remember anybody in that movie. And why would you want to? <laughs> I did go see it. If you ever want to show someone young what cocaine can do to your system, show them Sgt. Pepper's film. Okay. <laughs> right? That's all like right. that's all of Hollywood on cocaine. Mm. But but uh, I, I just think of Angela Bassett playing her in uh, What's Love Got to Do yeah. With It. Yeah. Sing the song, anime. Sing the song, anime. And, you know, her story is just incredible. Yes. You know, Bassett's so, uh, getting an honorary Oscar this year? Yeah, she should get a real one eventually, but that's yeah. a whole other story. George Maharis, 94. Stage, screen, and TV actor, best known for the series Route 66. Kicks. <laughs> he made He had made a name for himself, originating one of the roles in the off-Broadway production of Edward Albee's The Zoo Story. Oh, but Route 66 made him a household name. He left the series in its third season because of illness, but it was later revealed that the producers found out he was gay and made working conditions very bad for him. Ooh. Yeah, yeah I which I didn't know. It, in the 60s? Yeah, I can Yeah, but I, I just didn't know that because it was... A, you know, that's intru- I didn't know that, but it's interesting because there was that period where he was in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. He was working constantly, yeah. and then it suddenly he kind of disappeared. Yeah. Well, he did appear in several films, including The Satan Bug. Yes, I remember that. Quick I before, remember when it came out. Yeah, I remember that it film, was, too. It was pretty popular. Quick Before It Melts, The Happening, Sylvia with Carol Baker, and later in the 90s in Doppelganger. Hmm. Cynthia Vile. Viola Vile. As in Barry Mann and Cynthia Vile. Yeah. yeah. With her husband and songwriting partner, Barry Mann, she wrote songs for the Righteous Brothers, Dolly Parton, and the Animals. And she won an Academy Award nomination for writing the lyrics to the song Somewhere Out There for an American Tale yeah, in 1987. Yay. Never saw it. Oh, it was atrocious. But that's not right. <laughs> I remember hearing the song all the time. I'm Jewish and it made me anti-Semitic, oh. so... <laughs> there you go. And you haven't, rec- and you I'm, haven't I'm recovered. Just <laughs> okay. 
No, but that, but the two of them and Goffin and King and Ellie Greenwich and Jeff Barry were like the holy trinity of the Brill, Brill Building, Phil Spector, right. you know, songwriting teams. I mean, just one great song after another. Amazing. Barry Newman, 92. Oh, yes. Film and television actor, best known for the cult film The Vanishing, Vanishing Point. Yes, a Kowalski van- challenger. The film about a drug runner who is who has a bet with his dealer to drive from Denver to San Francisco in 15 hours, then gets to keep the uh, amphetamines that he's uh, traveling free of charge. <laughs> oh at, boy! <laughs> at the time, the film was panned, but later has become one of the top road pictures ever made. Yeah, you had Tulane Blacktop, all those great road—you know—the the road is metaphor movies of the early seventies. Yeah. He starred in the film *The Lawyer*, and later that character was the center of the TV series *Petrocelli*. Petrocelli, I couldn't think of the name of it. Oh, yeah, yeah I remember oh, I remember, that. I, remember, yeah. I remember. I used to watch yeah. it all the time. Yeah, which ran two years, and then later he appeared in the films *The Limey*. Movie I have. Limey. Love the Limey. 40 Days and 40 Nights. Limey's basically point blank. Yeah, but yeah, I, I but like the Limey better. I do too. Although Lee Marvin's really good. And Bowfinger. He was in yeah. Bowfinger. Which is another underrated. I laugh my ass off every time at that movie. I, I, don't, know if I, I don't think I saw it. Eddie, Eddie Murphy's yeah, Eddie making the... Lovely. I love that. Okay. Jacques Rosier. Now, uh, I actually asked you about him. Who I've never heard of. You never heard of him yet? No. Oh, wow. I'm a, I'm a French New Waver. Yes, but, uh... Uh, okay. Film director. Considered the last of the French New Wave directors, although he is relatively unknown. His 1962 debut film, Adieu Philippe, was the story of a TV technician and a seaside dalliance he had with two teenage girls before he heads off to serve in the... In the in the Algerian War. Although Eric Omer, Jacques Vivette, Francois Truffaut, and Jean-Luc Godard all praised the film, Godard called it the best French film in years, it took 11 years for it to premiere at the New York Film Festival mm-hmm. in 1973. In Quentin Tarantino's words, his films were known as hangout movies. I have no idea, no what, idea that what that means. means. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it means... People hanging out. <laughs> I listen. Uh, I just saw that Film Forum is showing Le Mepris, um, you know, with Brigitte Godard's film oh, with Brigitte Bardot. I saw it the last time Film Forum. I'm, I'm going. Else, Brigitte on a big screen directed by Godard. I'm going. Well, it's, it's been around for a couple months. You should get yourself over there. I know. I'm, I'm, okay. You know. I thought you didn't like that film. I don't like it as much as its reputation, mm. but it's still really... Oh. That, the scene with her and Michelle Piccoli in the bathtub, you know, that sort of 20-minute conversation, I, I love it. Not having it. Um, <laughs> Rosier's most famous movie was Main Ocean Express in 1986. This I know from nothing. Okay. I've never heard of it. You learn something new every yeah. time we do a podcast. I, I, I was going to have you do the Nicole John Hammond because I figured you knew all about him. No, no, no. <laughs> That's I'm, why I texted I'm, you I'm on I'm it. I'm a fan, but okay. I don't If know. it was Godard, he'd talk for another hour. Yeah, yeah, I Maybe. know. Okay, and Lord. hold up some political signs and, uh, and then uh, resort to and cannibalism. And turn the lights on and off. <laughs> Lawrence Terman, 96, film producer. Although he had made several theatrical films in the early 60s with his partner, Stuart Miller, such as the film version of Gore Vidal's The Best Man. Okay, great one. He will be best known as the producer of The Graduate. Nice. In 1963, 
He took a $1,000 option on the Charles Webb novel and spent the next three years trying to find money to finance it. He, excuse me, he finally got Joseph E. Levine, who mainly financed schlock B films. But also financed Contempt for Godard, to say. And it became not only the highest grossing film released in 1967, but currently the 22nd highest grossing film adjusting for inflation. Right. Of all time. Wow. Yeah. Did he, was it, was Nichols his choice? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So? The yeah. film was nominated for seven Academy Awards, but only won one for Mike Nichols' as best director, which and is kind of odd. was Hoffman his choice? Uh, no. Uh, no. 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 Hoffman that was Nichols? Nichols that yeah. was Nichols. Yeah. 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 Originally, he was thinking about Robert Redford, Redford. but uh, no. after oh, sort of a, Lord, no. well, Redford, when I, uh, I have read several times that Redford is closer to the character, original character in the book. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, but fair enough. But after working with him for a short while, Nichols realized that this is going to work. Supposedly, I don't know if this is true, there was some, some sort of conversation with Nichols and Redford like, well, you know, when you know he loses the girl, what's it like? And he said, he, Redford was sort of like, I don't know what you mean. Right. <laughs> he didn't, Never happened to be he so. Didn't, uh, he didn't get it. Yeah, yeah, and there were several actors. And he liked, and he liked Hoffman's sort of his kind of like offbeat, oddball sort of uh, demeanor. And sometime we have to do an episode on whatever happened to Catherine Ross. She's married to um, what's his name? The Sam guy, who, Sam Elliott, the guy who doesn't believe that there are gay cowboys in Montana. <laughs> and, oh, and supposedly is dead. <laughs> Listen, he's the stranger in Lebowski, so um, you guys are lucky I'm not forcing a 25th anniversary Lebowski episode on you. I wouldn't mind. I like Lebowski. (laughs) Next to Fargo, it's my favorite uh, Coen Brothers film. Paxton Whitehead, British character actor, known more for stage and TV than film, but film audiences know him best for portraying Philip Barbe, the nemesis of Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, the the economics professor, sure. And his... His love rival was Sally Kellerman. Kellerman. Uh, I love love that movie. I know. I do too. Sorry. (laughs) He was also a semi-regular on Friends and Mad About You. And I remember him on stage opposite uh, Maggie Smith in um, Lettuce and Lovage. Oh, yeah. 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 And another thing, Vonnegut, I'm canceling that check. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I love that movie. Okay. Glenda Jackson. Um, 87. uh, Film, stage, and TV actress. Member of Parliament. That's right. A member of the Royal Shakespeare Company, she became wildly known for her third film, Ken Russell's adaptation of D.H. Lawrence's Women in Love, which won her first of two Academy Awards for Best Actress, as well as the New York Film Critics Award. The following year, she won her second Oscar nomination for Sunday Bloody Sunday. And then she, that same year, she won two Emmy Awards for Best Actress in the BBC's Elizabeth R. Wow, that's right. Betty Davis, who played Queen Elizabeth twice on, on film, said Jackson was the best Elizabeth she had ever seen. And Betty Davis is not known for giving compliments, <laughs> yes. yeah. no. uh, especially yeah. no. to other actresses. No. The following year, Jackson reprised her role as Elizabeth in the film Mary, Queen of Scots, opposite Vanessa Redgrave. One year later, she won her second Academy Award for Best Actress in the rom-com A Touch of Class, opposite George Siegel. She continued working steadily in film, TV, and theater throughout the 70s to the early 90s. 
Among the highlights were the romantic English woman, Hedda, an adaptation of Hedda Gabler, her fourth Oscar nomination for Best Actress, The Boyfriend, The Nelson Affair, The Maids, House Calls, Nasty Habits, Stevie, which mm, I talked about right, right, in our right. 70s. About Stevie Smith, sure. And that she won the New York Film Critics Award for Best Actress. Hopscotch, The Incredible Sarah as Sarah Bernhardt, Turtle Diary, Robert Altman's Health, mm. and The Return of the Soldier. On television, she won an Emmy nomination for the title role in the Patricia Neal story. Mm. When asked about what she thought of uh, Linda Jackson's portrayal, Patricia Neal said, well, I liked it very much. Now I would like to do the Glenda Jackson story. <laughs> fair, fair enough. In theater, she won Tony nominations for Marat Saad, <clears throat> Strange Interlude, <clears throat> Rose, and Macbeth. Then in 1992, she left acting and was elected parliament for the Labor Party. When Labor took over in 1997, she became a junior minister of transportation and then ran unsuccessfully for mayor of London. She kept her seat in Parliament until 2015 when she declared herself too old for the job and went right back into acting. Yeah. <laughs> Appearing the following year in 2016 in the Old Vic in a well-received production of King Lear. Right. Which in, came, is that the one that came here? Not exactly. No. Different director. Uh, Deborah Warner directed the one in London and um, uh, Sam Gould directed the one here and it, you saw the one here. No, I didn't. Oh, I did. I, heard it I was, was not. Yeah, I was disappointed. Yeah, I heard it was. But dead. it was a different director. But in 2018, she did return to Broadway in a production of Edward Albee's Three Tall Women, hmm. and won the Tony Award for Best Actress. And then the following year, she brought King Lear to Broadway. She also appeared on television as an Alzheimer's victim in Elizabeth Is Missing, and shortly before her death, she completed the film The Great Escaper opposite her romantic English woman co-star, Michael Caine. Mm. May I interject here and read a few Glenda Jackson quotes? Okay. Yes, yes, please. The best theater is trying to tell the truth, and the best politics is trying to tell the truth. Hmm. When I have to cry, I think about my love life. When I have to laugh, I think about my love <laughs> life. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> I look forward to growing old and wise and audacious. Acting is not about dressing up. Acting is about stripping bare. Yeah. I have never believed you make your case stronger by bad-mouthing your opposition. Although, three days after Margaret Thatcher died, you can see this on YouTube, <laughs> she famously lashed out at Thatcherism <clears throat> for what it was. She said that was the reason she went into politics. Was, was because of Thatcher. Right, on the labor side of things. And it wasn't like she was Ronald Reagan who was, you know, not working that much. She was working, and I'm, I'm a friend of her American agent, and he told me that she was constantly, during her 23 years in Parliament, getting acting offers. Robert Altman wanted her for um, Gosford Park. She, hmm. He wanted her for the Helen Mirren role. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. but um, she wouldn't even look at the script. She says, I'm not acting. I I'm working for my constituents. She wouldn't even take a couple weeks break. You know, right. she just, that Re was Remarkable, it. Remarkable person. And the yeah. other thing that I got to say that I really, really respect her for, besides the uh, politics, 
is here's a woman who won in, in a five-year period, won two Oscars, nominated for two others, and got two Emmys. And she could have easily moved to Hollywood, become some big star, yeah. or even television, made millions and millions and millions of dollars, and she didn't. Yep. She, the reason I saw so many of her movies was because she tended not to do junk. Yeah. Right. And she didn't do anything for a buck. Yeah. One of my favorite Glenda Jackson movies, I don't know if you can stream it, is a little comedy called Nasty Habits. Watergate in a Nunnery. You've mentioned that yeah. before. She yeah. plays Nixon. And huh. Geraldine Page and Ann Jackson played Haldeman and Ehrlichman. Sandy Dennis is uh, John Dean. Melina McCurry is... Um, Henry Kissinger and Anne Mira is Gerald Ford. Wow. <laughs> it's a funny have you seen it? Yeah. It's a funny little movie. Yeah. And but it, it wasn't a big movie. None of except for a touch of class and maybe house calls, none of her movies were what you would call mainstream right. box office films. So I, I just have Did Women in Love, I forget. Was that a big box office? No, movie? it was yeah. an art movie. Yeah. I mean, I remember when she. Got I remember when it came out. I saw it. I oh just, yeah. I, guess, I just couldn't remember if it was like became a big box office. No, draw. no, not really. It was a success d'estime. I think actually, <laughs> I think actually, Sunday Bloody Sunday was was yeah. more popular. Yeah, that, well, that would make sense. Yeah, but uh, and no, she, she came was, out of nowhere. She was about the work. Yeah. Yep. So. As a thespian, I have just a lot. Uh, no, of no, an actor, to, a, an actor to be admired right. both as an artist and a person. Yeah, exactly. that, that's a that's a big loss. Okay, Frederick Forrest, hey. eighty-six, uh. film and TV actor. He was an off-Broadway stage actor and moved to Hollywood in the early seventies, making his film debut in When the Legends Die, playing an Uti Indian, although he has almost no Indian blood in him. Francis Ford Coppola noticed and cast him in The Conversation. Right. His two most famous roles were in 1979, Apocalypse Oops. Now as Chef, and in The Rose as Bette Midler's chauffeur boyfriend. Right. He won the National Society of Film Critics Award for Best Supporting Actor for both films, hmm. but received his Oscar nomination for The Rose, yeah. which he lost to Melvin Douglas in being there. His two following roles were leading, but both films were unsuccessful. One from the heart, oh, for, for Coppola, and the title role of Hammett, yeah, for Wim Wenders. For I Wenders, never saw yeah. that. Did you? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I I kind of liked. It. I liked it too. Yeah, yeah and he was he was good in it. He was always good. Yeah, he was. He but was a good actor. He did continue in supporting I roles. Love him in Apocalypse Now. Oh yeah, he's great in that. Yeah. I, I With wish the Tiger. I wish they <laughs> loved that. Oh. The Tiger. I was kind of surprised they nominated him for the Rose instead of Apocalypse. I now, know. Maybe it's because of Robert Duvall was also in that category. I perhaps, don't know. perhaps. But um, um, he continued working in supporting roles, including Tucker, the Man in His Man in His Dreams. Gotta love that movie. The Two Jakes and Falling Down, and numerous TV shows such as Long Lonesome Dove. Hmm. He was quoted as saying that Hollywood is a fickle town. By the time you go down the driveway to pick up your mail, you're forgotten. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not bitter. <laughs> uh, 
Julian Sands, 65. Yeah, I was going to say young. British actor, died while hiking in the San Gabriel Mountains in Southern California. Became known in the mid-1980s for two film roles. Ken Russell's Gothic, where he played Shelley. Sure. And James Ivory's A Room with a View. Room with a View. Yeah. That's right. That's the first time I remember seeing it. Wonderful movie. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. He also appeared in The Killing Fields, Leaving Las Vegas, The Loss of Sexual Innocence, and The Painted Bird. Mm. Appeared successfully on stage in both London and New York in a celebration of Harold Pinter, where he read Pinter's poetry. Hmm. Did you see that? No, no, uh, no. Yeah, it was off-Broadway. It was good. Alan Arkin. Oh. That's a loss. Character actor and occasional director. Originally a member of the improv group Second City, he made his Broadway debut in Carl Reiner's Enter Laughing, for which he won a Tony Award. His second Broadway appearance was for Murray Shiskel's Love, and then he made his film debut in 1966 Russians? in Norman Jewson's yeah. The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, which he won an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor. His second film role was in a darker, dark menacing role in Wait Until Wait Dark. Wait Until Dark, sure. His third film was in Alan J. Pollock's version of Carson McCullough's The Heart is a Lonely, Lonely Hunter, Hunter. Great, great, which great. brought him his second Oscar nomination for Best Actor, as well as the New York Film Critics Award. But most of his film performances were comedies, although some dark comedies, such as Yossarian in Mike Nichols' Catch-22. Sure. But he was in The In-Laws, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Serpentine, yeah. Sheldon, <laughs> Serpentine. <laughs> I, I definitely have that down here. Other films in the 70s through the 90s included the film version of Jules Pfeiffer's dark comedy, Little Murders. Did mm -hmm. either one of you see that? No. I had not seen it, no. You can't find it anywhere. Yeah. And he also directed it. Yeah, no, no, I remember reading about it's it a dark. Few, a few times, and you, you can't see it anywhere. No, uh, it's... I don't know why. I don't either. It's, it's, it's very, very dark. Elliot Gould was in it, Vincent Gardenia, and... Some of it is funny. Some of it is like really, really dark. Yeah. Well, have you ever heard an interview with Alan Arkin? No. Not a happy man. Really? No. I went to school with his son. No. With Adam Arkin? Oh with yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, the other films: Last of the Red Hot Lovers, Freebie and the Bean, Hearts of the West, which won him the New York Film Critics Award for Best Supporting Actor. It's an interesting movie. Yeah. The Seven Percent Solution, the in-law. Freud. No, he no. was. Um, yeah, no, he played Freud in that. Yeah, it was yeah. a Sherlock Holmes thing. But yeah, he, yeah. he was Freud. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> in-laws. The in-laws with Peter Falk, Edward Scissorhands, yes. Havana, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Wonderful, Slums of Beverly Hills, Gross Point Blank. And Little Miss Sunshine, for which, which he finally, finally won, yeah. won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Six years later, he won his final Oscar nomination as Best Supporting Actor in Argo. Argo, Argo, fuck yourself. He also. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there goes our PG rating. All right. He also worked extensively in television, including his last role as Michael Douglas's best friend in The Kaminsky Method, which yeah. he received. Two Emmy nominations for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series. He also continued to direct on stage, most notably in the original production of Neil Simon's The Sunshine Boys with Jack Albertson and Sam Levine, which I liked so much better than the movie. Oh, yeah. Well. Oh, wow. 
and more recently in Power. Enter. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And Four more years we've been doing the podcast. You always say come in. Now all of a sudden you say enter. <laughs> and more recently in Power Plays, an off-Broadway program of three one acts, one of which he wrote, and the other two were written by Elaine May. Arkin and May appeared in the plays, although Arkin once said he would rather direct for the stage than appear in it. Hmm. He also wrote several books, including children's books, a memoir, and his own personal search for meaning in the universe and his embrace of Eastern philosophy. In his memoir, he wrote that when things get tense, when I start taking my work a bit too seriously, I remind myself that I'm only pretending to be a human being. Do <laughs> you guys ever see uh, Mother Night? No. It's based on the Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, He's yeah. Alan Arkin is with in Nick it. With Nick really, really, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Arkin that. is really good in it. That, that came It's a supporting went. role. Uh, well, most of his roles were... Yeah. Vonnegut does not make great film, necessarily. I liked Slaughterhouse 1996 Five. it came out. I don't remember. I remember the title. Yeah, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good movie. It's oh. worth seeing. Didn't they not release it for a while? Uh, they did that with remember Bruce Willis was in Breakfast of Champions and they didn't even release it for a while yeah. it was so bad well I was talking about um, before Glenda Jackson the Robert Altman film Health was never released is that right? never and it had her Carol Burnett Lorne Bacall and James Garner yeah, and, and it was like, a funny funny movie and for some reason they, 20th Century Fox didn't know how to market it so they didn't release it that happens uh, yep um, anyway, uh, anything I would like to put in a point, and I'm glad the uh, critic, one of the critics from the New York Times, did too, on his work in Glengarry Glen Ross. Oh, it's amazing because he really is, and it, because he's the one who doesn't swear that much. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of over, almost overlook him, but you shouldn't because he's really almost the soul of that movie. Uh-huh. And of, of that play. Love. And I'm not a huge Mammoth fan. I'm not either. But I love that movie. I do. And I think the movie's better than the play. I, yep. Because I agree. Yeah. yeah. Because of the Shelley Alamanca. the Machine Levine. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, everybody in it is good. And so is Arkin. And, yep. Uh, everybody. Okay. Another sad loss. Treat Williams. Yeah. Who I had never heard of. I remember when I was 14 years old and Hair came out. Yeah. Uh, in 79, I was like, he's, oh my he's, God. He's really good in that. Yeah. Well, before so Hair, he wasn't that. known at all. Yeah. That was, so that was his first. Yeah. Uh, he was a replacement in the Broadway musical Grease. Huh. And Milos Foreman saw him and cast him in the film version of Hair, which he was widely acclaimed. Uh, his next movie was a rom-com called Why Should I Lie? I've seen that. And mm-hmm. it was so bad that he quit the business for a year. Yeah. And then did Prince in the City, right? Yeah. Which I he, love. He flew private airplanes, but then Sidney Lumet cast him in Prince of the City. Great movie. In a fictionalized version of Robert Lucy, Lucy, a New York City detective who exposed corruption in the police department. His other 132 film and TV credits... Wow. Include Once Upon a Time in America. Right, he's the labor leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Union guy. The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper. Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. Smooth Talk, which is one of my favorites. That's Joyce Chopra, so, that's a yeah. Yeah, good film. Yeah. And the TV series Everwood. The CW. Yeah. It was on for several years. Um, yes, yeah, I've heard. Yeah. Never saw well, it. I never did, saw it. Then he got involved with Hallmark. With the, yeah, yeah. Did the Hallmark. He did a too. series for Hallmark. Mm-hmm. And I and I saw an interview with him. He said part of the reason why he stayed with that was simply because 
I, I didn't want to keep moving my family around. Yeah. So um, I heard him in an interview with Alec Baldwin, the Actor Studio series, and he told a pretty funny story about when he was working on Once Upon a Time in America, and it's the scene when he's in the hospital after he's been injured. He's the labor leader, as you said, and the James Woods and Robert De Niro character come to see him. And he said he was just, you know, he's waiting for them to set up. He said that, uh, you know, Leone and the cinematographer were discussing the setups and everything. So he was, they had, as usual in movies, just kind of waiting around. But he was in a bed. And he said it was very comfortable. And he said next thing he knew, he felt this nudging on his shoulder. And it was Robert De Niro. And De Niro said, and, you know, Treatment said, what? He said, he said well, we're rolling. <laughs> and it's your line. You thought you'd like to say it. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he had fallen asleep. No, very charismatic. I thought after Heron Prince in the City, Prince of the City, he was going to be huge. He wasn't, worked. but he worked. Always, he always worked. worked. That's right. And he worked on stage, too. I remember seeing him in a revival of Follies. And he could sing. Well, obviously, he did Grease. Um... Okay, uh, Ellen Hovde, documentarian. She was one of the directors of Grey Gardens, right. the 1975 movie that examined the lives of two reclusive women living in a deteriorating mansion on Long Island who were distant cousins of Jackie Kennedy. She directed the film with Albert and David... Maisley's. She was a contributing editor on Salesman, a documentary by oh, the Maisley's brother. And Charlotte Zerwin about four Bible salesmen. She was also an editor on Gimme Shelter mm. that followed a Rolling Stones tour where in late 1969 a concert was killed by a Hell's Angel. I do remember that one. Altamont. But Gray's Gardens was the biggest success, even though it divided critics. Roger Ebert called it one of the most haunting documentaries in a long time. While Richard Etta of the New York Times said the movie gore will feel like, like an exploiter. And I can... I can see that. I, I, I was... Grey Gardens made me squirm. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I agree. It was uncomfortable. It was. Oddly enough, I didn't mind the musical. Because <laughs> that didn't make me squirm. Right. <laughs> Jane Birkin. Oh, 76. Singer-actress and fashion icon. With a relation bag. With a relationship with yeah. the singer Serge, Serge Gainsbourg, she yep. became known for the song for the song J'aime moi non plus. Non plus. Yeah. Blue. I love you, me neither. When she was twenty, she made her film debut in Blow Up, cast as the blonde, and gained attention for a risque nude scene. Her big film was The Swimming Pool with Alan Delon and Romy Schneider in 1969. The one that just premiered at, here last year. Which was yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And she was very, very good in that. Um, other films included The Knack, Catherine and Company, Death on the Nile, mm. Evil Under the Sun, and Daddy Nostalgia. Mm. The Birkin handbag, which she created, goes for $10,000. Right. <laughs> Right. And she is the mother of actress Charlotte Gaines. Charlotte. Carlin Glynn, stage and film actress. She was an acting teacher and an actress who gained fame for her Tony Award winning performance as Miss Mona in The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Her film work included Three Days of the Condor, Sixteen Candles, Continental Divide, and most famously, 
as Geraldine Page's daughter-in-law from hell oh, in The Trip to Bountiful, right, right. which was directed by her husband, Peter Masterson. And she was the mother of the actress, Mary Stuart Masterson. Hmm. Okay, that's a resume. Yeah. Better than mine. <laughs> well, yeah. There you go. All right. A great one not known for his films, but a great one. Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett. Love, love, love. Would see him on the street. He lived down, down the block oh, from me. Oh, yeah. Singer and occasional actor. Appeared as himself in Muppets Most Wanted, Bruce Almighty, and Analyze This. But in 1966, he appeared as an actor in one film, as Stephen Boyd's best friend in the film The Oscar. The Oscar, wow. His character was, made, was named Jaime Kelly, and he never acted again. The film is considered one of the worst ever made, but not because of him. Right. Boyd, Elkie Summer, Joseph Cotton, uh, Stephen Boyd. Uh, Elkie Summer, Joseph Cotton, Eleanor Parker, Milton Berle, Edie Adams, Ernest Borgnine, Ed Begley Sr., Walter Brennan, Peter Lawford, Broderick Crawford, and Jill St. John deserve some of the blame. Wow. It really <laughs> is. A, you know what the movie is about? Yeah, no, it's about, a, is it about the Oscar campaign? Or yes, a, it's about an actor yeah. who, who's hated, and he gets nominated for an Oscar, and he tries to uh, bring down the other four nominees. And it's just, it's so stupid. And it's yep. like, how did all these people get involved? And Tony Bennett actually does have a fairly large part. He plays his best friend, and... You get the feeling he knows. It's like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done to my unstoppable and career? Well, I mean, I always think of the opening of Goodfellas when I think of Tony Bennett yeah. film. You know, and, rags yeah. to riches. And, yeah. Yeah. I was privileged to have uh, received a ticket, got a free ticket to see him and Lady Gaga, and Gaga? in Radio wow. City Music Hall. Not the last concert, uh, which apparently he had Alzheimer's, but it was. But you couldn't tell from the TV. Amazing. But uh, before that, and it was great. He was great. She was great. So a voice like no other. Yeah. So. Yeah, great, great singer. Yeah. Bo Goldman, ninety screenwriter. Hmm. He won two Academy Awards, adapting One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in nineteen seventy-five. Not bad. Apparently, not a, uh, Ken Kesley was not a fan of the film, which I didn't know. Hmm. And he won. Uh, uh, the original screenplay uh, Oscar in 1980 for Melvin and Howard, uh, which he also won the New York it's Film Critics Award. Fairly forgotten film. It isn't is. It's a, a lovely, odd movie. It was an odd movie, and it got a lot of acclaim. And it, yeah, it didn't just do any business. It didn't do well. I mean, it's and Demi. I mean, Demi is not Demi, exactly an unknown director. True. So. Well, he was sort of unknown there. At the, oh yeah, at that yeah. point, yes. What he had done one, maybe one film. He had done that uh, thing about the um, truckers. Uh, right, uh, Citizens Band. Yeah. Yep. Which then, I like too. And then did Swing Shift. pull out of your hat. <laughs> yeah, I could And then Swing Shift and then... Swing uh, Shift was after. Right. And, and uh, Bob Goldman also wrote that. Which I didn't think was as bad as everyone else did. I didn't think now, it was no bad. I'm no big Goldie Hawn fan, but it was a... Uh, I didn't think it was bad. Yeah. He also penned The Rose, Shoot the Moon, which is one of my oh, favorites. Oh, I love yes, Shoot Zion the Moon. Yeah, Keaton, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Flamingo Kid, Little Nikita, Scent of a Woman, which is a... His third Oscar oh, wow. nomination, City Hall, and Meet Joe Black. Oof. Martin Brest, who directed Scent and Joe Black, called him the man with the X-ray ears because he had a pitch-perfect recall of the nuances of a comment that someone made to someone 50 years prior. 
he could reproduce the tone, and the reason he remembered it was because the tone told the whole story. Interesting. <laughs> Julian Barry, 92, playwright and screenwriter, wrote the play Lenny, in 1971, which was then made into a film by Bob Fosse in 1974, which was nominated for six Academy Awards, including one for Barry, who adapted the play, which he lost to Godfather II. He also adapted Ionesco's Rhinoceros, which starred Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder. Oh, Ryan, for the American... Film uh, Theater. Yeah. yeah, that was directed by Tom O'Horgan, who had directed Lenny on stage. And his other theatrical screenplay was The River in 1984, directed by Mark Rydell and starred Mel Gibson and Sissy Spacek. And Sissy oh, yeah. Spacek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Inga Swinson, 90, musical stage and TV actress. Benson. Best known yes. on TV as the German maid Kraus opposite Robert Guillaume in Benson. But in the mid-60s on Broadway, she appeared in the musicals 110 in the Shade and Baker Street. But she made two famous films in 1962. She was Helen Keller's mother in oh. The Miracle Worker. And she was in Advise and Consent, where she portrayed Don Murray's closeted senator's long-suffering wife. Uh, she was also in the movie uh, Lipstick. Paul Rubens, uh -huh. also known as Pee Wee Herman, 70 created the character of Pee-wee from the Los Angeles comedy troupe The Groundings in the late 1970s. After being disappointed after auditioning unsuccessfully for Saturday Night Live in 1980, he set about creating the Pee-wee Herman show, which was billed as a live stage TV pilot. It premiered in Los Angeles and then as a national tour and then an HBO special in 1981. Now, the first film was Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and directed by Tim Burton in 1985. A great debut for both a perfect match of director and character, and a great debut for Burton and a great debut for, for him, although the second Pee-wee movie is horrible, but the first one is glorious. It's just, remember the scene with the I, I didn't see oh, it. Oh, the bikers are going to kill him. And, I, and, I haven't seen oh it. Oh my God, it's so good. And, and he puts on tequila by the champs on the jukebox and starts dancing and befriends everybody. I, it's so, and I can never visit the Alamo without thinking about, because he's convinced that his stolen bike has been hidden in a basement in the Alamo. <laughs> and so he, it's, Per, and and Pee Wee's attitude and Burton's Burton's vision are just perfectly matched in that film. I I love that movie. And it's, uh, a lot of places are re-releasing re it now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then in 1986, Pee Wee's Playhouse ran on CBS on Saturday morning, and was popular with both children and adults. That's where I'd seen him. I'd seen it once. I was not a fan, but it just wasn't my cup of tea. But, and it had nothing to do with my age or anything because one of my closest friends who's an occasional listener to this podcast loves the film and we went to college together and she loves it and I know a lot of people who love Pee Wee Herman. Um, and then so the, the well, incident. <laughs> uh, I wasn't even going to mention it because I thought that was so stupid. Yeah. But. Uh, other films as Pee Wee Herman were Back to the Beach, Big Top Pee Wee, Moonwalker and Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and, and he was also in the he, second Batman film. Yes, Burton, right? he also yeah. appeared in other roles in films such as Pandemonium, Meatballs Part Two, Flight of the Navigator, 
Batman Returns yep. as Penguin's Father, right. The Nightmare Before Christmas, Blow, Teacher's Pet, and Reno 9-11 Miami. Now, I will say uh, he is definitely a talent because his character work, I've seen him and I go, oh, that's him? He, he does incredible uh, yeah. character work. And I thought the whole thing about the Florida movie theater was ridiculous. What the hell are you supposed to do in a porn theater? <laughs> I've taken and a step. We're going to leave that question <laughs> hanging in the air. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I get mad whenever I think about that. And everybody. What about kids? Unfortunately, yeah, the, 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 every the, obituary mentioned it, but the, right. the fact is they had to mention it because that's how he lost the TV show. The hypocrisy of it, yeah, is just but startling. Anyway. Mark McGullis. No. Okay. 83. Character actor with a menacing look. He's best known for TV as Hector in Breaking Bad mm. and Better Called Saul, the former which brought him an Emmy nomination Uncle for Tio. Outstanding Guest Actor in a Series. In film, he was seen in Scarface as a henchman and in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, as an aggravated landlord. And Pie. And, and he became and a go-to actor for yeah. Darren Aronofsky yeah. and appeared in Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, The yeah. Wrestler, Black Swan and Noah. Yeah, it was almost like a good luck charm. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, but he was yeah. good. He was a good actor. Great. Oh yeah, I especially like in Pi, he plays this yeah. like, the uh, math professor obsessed with Go. Right. Yeah. No. William Friedkin, eighty-seven, film and TV director. He started out making documentaries. Most known was The People vs. Paul Crump, which won several prizes and apparently got somebody off a death row. He made small films in the beginning, such as adaptations of plays such as Harold Pinter's The Birthday Party and Mark Crowley's The Boys in the Band. band, His first big budget movie, The Night That Rated Minsky's, was unsuccessful, but it was his low-budget sleeper, The French Connection, that brought him fame and an Academy Award for Best Director, beating out Stanley Kubrick, Peter Vigdanovich, John Schlesinger, and Norman Jewson. Connection had been rejected by every studio in town until... It, and, until uh, 20th Century Fox and uh, Richard Zanuck that's right Richard Zanuck on his way out from 20th Century Fox financed the film and it was shot for 2 million about 15 million in today's money and it was based on the true story of two New York City cops who broke up an international hero- heroin traffic ring in 1961 it's best known for a pursuit in a commandeered car of a hijacked elevated train in Brooklyn this is often called the best car chase scene ever filmed, which I would agree. I'll take bullet, but uh, I'll, give I, you, I, I'll, I'll give you a second place. Yeah. <laughs> Friedkin supposedly bribed the transit official to look the other way when filming the scene. Yeah, that's not true. Not only did Friedkin win the Oscar, but the film took home four additional Academy Awards, including editing, adapted screenplay, best actor for Gene Hackman, and best picture of the year. Two years later, in 1973, he followed up with the film version of William Blatty's horror novel, The Exorcist. It was the first horror movie to be nominated for Best Picture, and Friedkin won a second Oscar nomination. Both lost to The Sting. It received mixed reviews. Vincent Canby of the New York Times called it Claptrap, but pronounced it as the biggest thing to hit the industry since Mary Pickford, Popcorn, Pornography, and The Godfather. Well, not necessarily in that order. (laughs) It is thought that both these films had ripple effects that lasted in the industry for years. French Connection injected realism and violence into hard-boiled thrillers, while The Exorcist changed critical attitudes towards horror films. 
Friedkin's next film was Sorcerer, <laughs> which was a critical and financial failure. Legendary. A remake of The Wages of Fear, it had the unfortunate problem of being released in the same month of, as Star Wars. Yep. Well, Friedkin, also... The Friedkin pr- considers it his best film. Well, the original budget was $2.5 and he brought it in at 25 and it made nine. Mm. So that's a career ender right yeah. there in 1977. <laughs> After that, he made Cruising with Al Pacino, another <laughs> critical and financial failure. Deal of the Century, and Jade. His one success during this period was To Live and Die in L.A. He then turned to smaller film uh, play adaptations, such as two of Tracy Letts' early works, Mm. Bug and Killer Joe. Mm. I remember liking Killer Joe. Uh, And a TV remake of Twelve Angry Men. His last film, finished only a couple months uh, before his death, was a TV is a TV remake of the Kane Mutiny Court Martial. Right, it's at Venice, right? It was with, playing at the yeah. with Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Clark, and it's updated to the Gulf War. Yeah. Well, I mean, the que- <laughs> the question the question that we have to answer is, and you know, when we I've we've been talking about this a long time, is why does Scorsese, Lucas, Coppola, Spielberg, De Palma, why did they make it and Bogdanovich and Friedkin and, say, Bob Rafelson don't? I mean, no one started stronger than Friedkin. Mm-hmm. And, but from what I heard, it was the same thing with Bogdanovich, just the arrogance. I mean, listen, if, you, if your first two major films are French Connection and Exorcist, you're going to start believing your press. And he just, you know, he developed a kind of, I mean, people were very happy to see him taking down a few pegs. Oh, I'm sure. But Sorcerer, Quentin Tarantino, of course, and others, is being re-examined now. Do you like, did you see it? I did. I I just don't, why remake Wages of Fear? Yeah, that's that's my film. That's why I didn't go. And I like Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider is always, I always like Roy Always solid. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to give it another look, but no, I could see If it comes to a theater, I'll I'll try to see it. In terms of films that took unstoppable careers down, it's better than Daisy Miller. There you go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Also, I've been reading obituaries where he wasn't so good to actors. No, he was a Atrocious. Yeah, well, and uh, Ellen Burstyn supposedly has a permanent back injury from The Exorcist, that shot where she's right. dragged. No, and, and same with Bogdanovich. I mean, mm-hmm. just the, the arrogance and, you know, that's what Orson said anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and Hitch. <laughs> we tortured Bogdanovich enough on this show. Yes, we have. Well, and Bogdanovich and Orson Welles really were friends, and, mm-hmm. and Welles did sort of betray him. Well, didn't uh, freaking have, Ma- you, have you ever li- have you guys ever listened to the podcast? With I've listened to some of them. Yeah, it's it's good. But the story he tells about Orson Welles when he's st- when he was staying at his house is hilarious. Like the ice cream. Yeah, yeah, I remember that right. <laughs> I'm gonna listen to that one. But but just as a rhetorical question, guys, why does why do those other folks make it and are considered the eminence greases of film today and? Friedkin, Bogdanovich, Rafelson, for me, are the big three of the new Hollywood well, who didn't make it. Well, for Friedkin, for me, the movies aren't as good. It could just yeah. be a talent thing. It could just, But someone who makes French Connection and Exorcist can't be too bad a filmmaker. Well, I'll be honest, I do not like The Exorcist. I remember standing outside in Minneapolis for an hour in the freezing weather with several of my college friends, and we went in, and we were laughing. At some of the scenes, yeah, that well, were supposed, I was not. I'm not sc- a fan. I was not scared in the least in that. I movie. was going to say. I mean, I was going to ask you, and I I know the answer already. But were you, you know, were were there other people laughing in the theater? Were people laughing to 
no to, to try to control their fear kind of thing do you know you know what I mean or I don't think they so. really laughing because you just thought it was so poorly done and schlocky I thought it was schlocky yeah I thought the scenes and it's yeah. not like uh, horror movies do affect me I mean I remember three years later seeing the omen <gasps> and I was terrified I was too. But, but I was the, 11. Yeah, well, I was 21 and I was... Come on, that little boy in the bicycle isn't so scary. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, talk about evil. <laughs> and now there's a fifth Exorcist movie with Alan Burstyn coming Wait, out. Wait, uh, can I just add <laughs> that, that I went with The Omen? My dad took me to see... Here's a classic for you. Mother Jugs. Wait, wait, no, no. My dad Omen? took me to see... No, he took me to see Mother Jugs and Speed with Harvey Keitel and Bill Cosby and Raquel yeah. Welch. Yeah. Yeah. I was 11. I don't know what I was doing there at 11. But, Why? Why and not? So, and so I we, saw that movie. And so we were about to get up and go, and they said, oh, listen, everybody, we have a free preview. Um, anyone who wants to stay... Uh, you're welcome to stay, no extra charge. Remember those and days? And, yeah. and, and, and it was the omen. And, and it, I still haven't forgiven. My dad's dead four years. I still haven't forgiven him for that one. I think your dad is wonderful for doing that. Oh, God. He's made you to what you are. No, I'm serious. No, I am. I'm, I'm going to mold him into the greatest podcaster ever. <laughs> exactly. I'm teacher. Hmm. Well, he was a good one, too. Okay. I know, and an Exorcist is a movie that every once in a while I think, like, maybe I should see it again because there's so many people that praise the movie, mm. that think it's great, and I just, like, I don't get it. Have you guys ever seen The Night They Rated Minsky's? No. That movie. Uh, I have, and I remember nothing of it. Well, it's a mess because what happened That's what I was. I kind of remember. The reason, though, it's a mess is it was all written to be about the character that Burt Lahr played, and Burt Lahr had the bad. Uh, taste to die the third day of shooting. Oh, no, consi- so they no consideration. Re- they had, and it was this, they had all these massive sets and stuff and they had to reshoot things oh, and rewrite it oh. and it was a mess. I'm surprised they even released it. Yeah. Now the French Connection, I mean everybody always remembers the, yeah. the chase scene, which is great. But the part of that movie I really like the most is when they just decide to trail Tony Lobianco. Yeah. That whole, that whole Sequence with mm-hmm. him like overnight, just following him around. Yeah, another great Roy Scheider performance too. Yep. Oh, also one more piece of trivia about the French Connection. Fernando Ray, you read that? Yes, I know. Yeah, he was. I, I knew. I already knew that, but yeah. Oh, I did not know the that. wrong guy from the Bunuel yes, film, right? He was. Mis- he was. Whoops. <laughs> Yeah, and Fernando Ray's great in it. Yeah, but it was supposed to have been another actor, and the casting director got confused. I love that. I did not know that until I read the obituary. Okay. Arthur Schmidt, 86, film editor. He was the son of Arthur P. Schmidt, who himself was a film editor in the 40s and 50s, having worked for Billy Wilder on Sunset Boulevard, Sabrina, and Some Like It Hot. Arthur Jr., I put in the junior, is known for his collaboration with uh, Robert Zemetrix and won two Academy Awards for Who Framed Roger Rabbit yes. and Forrest Gump. For Zemetrix, he also edited all three of the Back to, Fu- Back to the Future films, Death Becomes Her, Contact, What Lies Beneath, and Castaway. Other credits include Coal Miner's Daughter, an Oscar nomination, Ruthless People, The Last of the Mohegans, Adam's Family Values, yes. The Birdcage, Primary Colors, 
and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. The first one, the good one. That's yeah. that's not a bad career. No, that's no. And, and, say, busy man. And Can def- you imagine what editing Roger Rabbit must have been? Yeah. Like? Ooh, that must have been fun. I mean, that because, from what I understand, that was very tricky with yeah. Daffy and Donald Duck because they wouldn't <laughs> they be in the se- <laughs> They would not be on the set at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Get them in the same room, forget it. No, seriously, though, I thought that That's was an a impressive brilliant career. career. Supposedly, a... they were supposed to have lunch together to discuss the script, and they both refused. Yeah. They said, if that duck is here, I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I never understood what Donald was saying. But that, 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 At least that, Daffy had good diction. But that was, that was seriously, that was a brilliantly edited film. Yep. And uh, I, I was, frankly, that year surprised that it didn't do, even do better in the Oscar nominations that it wasn't nominated yeah, but, for well, Rain Man you can't, you can't avoid Rain Man your favorite could, actor Tom Cruise I avoided it I mean I saw it but uh, Rain Man, Rain Man uh, I don't yeah, get it I really 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 don't get it Carl Davis film composer and conductor composed music for the French Lieutenant's Woman, Woman which won the BAFTA Award Scandal Widow's Peak and George Stevens A Filmmaker's Journey but he's best known for conducting music for restored silent films. In the late 1970s, he was approached by film historian Kevin Brown Blow, who had completed a restoration of the 1927 silent film Napoleon by Abel Gantz. Wait, he did that? Yes, but only fragments of the original score had survived. Now, the score was successful, but when Francis Ford Coppola brought it over in 1981, the score was changed and Carmine Coppola conducted a different score. However, Davis continued to score for silent films such as Intolerance, The Thief of Baghdad, The Phantom of the Opera, Flesh and the Devil, The General, City Lights, Ben-Hur, and Ben-Hur, the silent one. Wow, yeah, I mean... So, yeah. Did you see it at Radio City? No, I didn't see it. Uh, Napoleon? Napoleon. No, and I, I heard so much something. wanted to see One it. One of my too. five best uh, movie-going experiences ever. I am ever. hoping they're going to release it again sometime. Because, the, well, the Joaquin Phoenix Napoleon is coming out at the end of yeah, the year, no, and I so know. maybe that will... Rest- Do you know that the Abel Gantz, 27 Napoleons, not even on DVD? Yeah, I know. It drives me crazy. But anyway, that's another thing. And our final one is Robbie Robertson, hmm. 80. Chief composer and lead guitarist for the band creator of the genre that became known as Americana, even though Robertson and three of the four members were Canadian. Leon Helm was born in Arkansas. Moviegoers know Robertson from the Martin Scorsese film The Last Waltz, often referred to as one of the greatest concert films ever made. He worked as a composer in several other Scorsese films, including The King of Comedy, which he was uncredited for, Hmm. The Color of Money, The Irishman, and for the upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon. He occasionally acted as well, appearing in roles in Carney, which he also co-scripted, and The Crossing Guard. I remember him in Carney. He was actually very good in that. Um, I, I am underwhelmed by Last Waltz. There I said it. I okay. know I'm going to be pillory. I never saw it. But it's, I'm, I'm, it's, it's fine. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm not that big a fan of the band, but, I mean, Robertson's a huge loss. I mean, that was, you know, he, they were so influential in Dylan's Golden Period and then yes. those, those first yeah. two yeah. albums that they did together, just as the band were amazing, and then the basement tapes, so, you know, a genius of a musician. Okay, that is it. I have one little more uh, recommendation I want to make uh, for people who are, of course, interested in movies, and I 
presume that's everybody who listens to this. One would hope. And people who live in New York City. There is a play now on Broadway called The Shark is Loose. Mm. Co-written and starring Ian Shaw, the youngest child of Robert Shaw. And it is about the filming of Jaws with uh, the three actors waiting around, bickering, talking, fighting, drinking. And it's not the greatest play in the world, but it is a lot of fun. And if you've, of course, if you've seen Jaws, you will love it. If you haven't seen Jaws, then, well, don't see the play. That's true. And it's at the Golden Theater. It'll be playing, I believe, until mid-October. You getting royalties? No. <laughs> no, but I thought this was something... <laughs> I'm joking. I think this is something moviegoers would like to see. Yeah. Uh, and it hasn't gotten much publicity. Although I've seen a few commercials. Yeah, no, I... The actor, uh, Alex Brightman, who plays Richard Dreyfus, is uncanny. <laughs> yeah, no, and he was Beetlejuice in, and, the, uh, in the musical. And yeah. he's shockingly yeah, good. he's really, shockingly really good. good. And Ian Shaw's a... Uh, uh, he was only eight when his father died, but he is a splitting image of his father, and he is a professional actor, although I've not been familiar Farewell with anything. Well, and adieu to your fair Spanish ladies. <laughs> <laughs> that is sung in the play. God, I love that. You were on Indianapolis? <laughs> well, so 1,500 men go in the water, 350 men come out. He's been delivered the bum. <laughs> yeah, not the bomb, the bum. <laughs> the bum. <laughs> Love it. All right. We now come to uh, America's favorite segment of the show. That would be John Meyer's Quote Quiz. Johnny, take us home. Drum roll, please. Okay. High budget sound effects. Uh, yes, very high budget. Uh, so the last quote from our last, our last episode was, Those are harsh words to throw at a man, especially when he's walking out of your bedroom. That was Humphrey Bogart to Lauren Bacall in The Big Sleep, directed nice. by Howard Hawks. And anyone listening out there, if you haven't seen The Big Sleep, you must see it because it's just so much fun. Don't worry about the plot. Yeah, Ignore don't it. Don't worry about the plot. Just go with it. Don't worry about the plot. And so the new quote is, he'd strangle in his own spit if he didn't have me around to swab out his throat for him. Hmm. All right, well, if you think you know the answer to one and want to double-check, or if you want to find out the answer, please check out our website, the cleverly named www.vintagesand.com. And that about tears it, wraps her up, as the stranger says in Lebowski. We really should do a 25th anniversary Lebowski episode. Um, but there you go. Uh, for uh, We're excited about the September episode because we are going to do, uh, apropos of what's going on in Hollywood right now, and the fact that we've got a couple of union members right here, we're going to do our favorite okay. films that deal with uh, the labor movement, um, with unions in particular and labor management disputes in general. And it's an interesting group of films, so I'm looking forward to that. And in October, we'll be working on our third director study. We've already done Bong Joon-ho and Chloe Zhao in previous episodes. And we're going back a ways, back to um, Joseph Losey. Uh, my favorite kind of communist, a wealthy communist from uh, Wisconsin, who, after a middling career here, was sort of forced out of the country uh, by HUAC and ended up having a rather brilliant career after hooking up with Harold Pinter and uh, Dirk Bogard in England in the 60s. So, and that's October. And then, you want to talk about a drum roll, my friends? Then we're coming up on episode 50, the big 5-0. All right, I still say we should do Torn Curtain. All we need is a sponsor. And we, 
But where, where can a we sponsor. get? Where can we get a sponsor? All right, maybe we'll, Michael. Michael's crying, so we won't. We won't do. T- we're definitely gonna. We do can. Some- we can. No, I think what we should do is 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 run out of place and get on stage and reenact the oven scene. Oh yeah, with Gromek. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's the a question: classic. is whose head will be put in the whose oven? Whose head? We exactly. Well, so there you go. So that's yeah. and uh, so again. Our labor films about labor and labor movements in uh, September for, to celebrate Labor Day. Our study of Joseph Losey, um, a very interesting and often misunderstood director in October and then November. We're, we're keeping it under wraps, probably because we don't know what's going to be. But um, our 50th episode, all right? So we want to remind you at this juncture in the narrative that uh, Vintage Sand is, as ever and always, a five nines and a four production. We want to thank Melissa for her technical help, Mama Sue for everything, and Theo for the amazing logo, ass-kicking logo. Remember, please, that we are on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. As I mentioned, please check out our website, www www.vintagesand.com leave, leave us your feedback, suggestions for episode topics, etc. And enjoy your upcoming Labor Day weekend and in a, on a serious note keep close to heart the labor issues that have stopped that Hollywood machine kind of dead in its tracks for the moment. It's uh, a lot of people are like, oh, what are these millionaires complaining about? Right, and as we will talk about, we have a SAG member sitting with us here. Who's so, not a millionaire? Right, exactly. So we'll be talking about that, and it'll work very nicely with the episode. More on that's coming. In the meantime, celebrate all that is worth celebrating at the end of the summer and the Labor Day weekend. And to that end, we hope fervently and as ever that your favorite films may always be streaming.